expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Oh, we're getting to that time of year, and it's episode 91 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast, where if your significant other doesn't know what they want for Christmas, just give them Legos and they can figure it out for themselves. It's exactly why I'm happy I'm single, just for this time of the year alone, where I don't have to ask a girl, what do you want for Christmas? I don't know. Then you give her, like, something, and she's like, oh, I didn't want this, I want something else. You should have fucking told me! <laughs> well, luckily... My wife and I are, have a very good relationship, so I got a pretty good handle on what to get her for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. And I'm James with him alongside. The Merkel one arm, Nick Pataglia. So yeah, man, we're getting closer to Christmas, and uh, you know, let's just talk about last week real quick, man. I mean, first of all, you sound a hell of a lot better than last week. Yes, I do, and I want to thank everybody again for hanging with me there. It was a uh, bout of bronchitis that was pretty bad, and uh, luckily we're turning the corner now, and we're... Ready for episode 91, but hey, the guys from Batman and Robin Eternal, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, they stuck with us too, and we got some great info. Exactly, man. We were talking about, of course, you know, they brought back a certain character, and, you know, and, and the way they did it, man, it's a fan favorite character, and it's just uh, amazing. I mean, the, the, the issues 9 and 10, issue 9 out now, you know, 10's coming out. It should be out this week, actually. And, uh, yeah, man, I mean, just so much great information, and just like, you know, the whole shark repellent thing, and they, like, they got to laugh out of that and everything else. And That was good, yeah. That was good. Uh, but, I mean, it's just, it's a really good series. I mean, again, if you're somebody who, like us, who've re- who's read Batman Eternal, all of it, and then this just picks up right where it left off, man. I mean, it just keeps on running, and it's just great. There's not an issue where, you know, like, you know, go back to Batman Eternal, there was that, what, issue eight had that mm-hmm. kind of, oh, no, kind of a thing. But with this one... It's just every issue is great. Like Every issue is so, so good, man. They got the right people to work on the series. Oh, definitely. And the re- and I'm sure there's people saying, well, why don't you just say who it is? Because the issue's been out for a while. You know what? Maybe people haven't read it yet. It's a weekly. And you know what? We don't do that. Yeah, That's we're, why. Yeah, we're not Newsarama. I mean, come on, man. We do have another special guest this week, Nick, and it's from a new series from Boom Studios. And it's actually a book called Snowblind, which we thought was really cool. Exactly. We're going to get the writer Ali Masters on the show this week, and he's going to talk about it. And yeah, man, it's a really cool uh, mystery set in Alaska, and you find out more why. It's kind of, you know, we're going to do a little bit of talk about you know, social media and what kind of dangers it has in it, how maybe things like social media have influenced the book heavily and what happens in it. And I mean, it's a... You know, we got the first couple issues, first issue, and it's re- first couple issues, and it's really, really good. And yeah, I mean... You know, this is really, really great. Of course, if you know by now, you're here on the Friday, but it was also our pick of the week this week yep. on Wednesday. So, I mean, yeah, go go get Snowblind if you haven't yet. And it's it's a great, great book. It's just very interesting because it, it reads almost like an indie film to me. Yeah. Or like a series or something like that. That's one of those, you know, those series that you wouldn't expect to be great, but it really is. Yeah. So that's one of the things. And I mean, by that, by that, I mean like TV series and movies. And well, like it's that. also, it's also, you know, quickly, it's also about a, a kid or a, a guy who pretty much, it's one of those things where he, he's in a new place, doesn't really fit in, trying to find a certain purpose in his life. And this thing happens in the book with his family, this event. And he's like, okay, 
I found, you know, I can have more purpose in my life and I can kind of, you know, do a little bit of investigating and see what's going on here. It accelerates quickly. Really like, really quickly. <laughs> really, really quickly. But, yeah, man, I mean, again, like we mentioned, we're in the holiday season. And I, uh, I you know... Do you do a nativity scene at your place? Um, we used to. I don't think. I think that uh, one of the dogs, because we had a ceramic one. Yeah. One of the dogs bumped into it and uh, kind of cracked baby Jesus there. So I oh, think that okay. we're in the market for a new one. But I've actually seen something that you did. Yeah, I don't have a nativity scene. So I said, you know, I'm going to improvise. And I created a nativity scene. And pretty much there's a picture of it on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash down nerd. I took of it. It's pretty much... The nativity scene, I did. I took a black bath mat I had in my closet that I had. I put that on my floor underneath my four-foot Christmas tree that I have. And then I took all the standees, like, figures I have on top of my TV, you know, Ultron, Hulk, and Spider-Man, and things like that. And I recreated the nativity scene with, like, Marvel characters. And, like, certain, like, there's a couple of toys I had, like, little nerdy wind-ups, like, mm-hmm. kind of techy wind-up toys I have that are, like, the animals, pretty much. Uh, I'll get to who Baby Jesus is in a second. But I have Hulk. I have like this like eye lens cloth I put over his head to make it look like he's married, like like uh-huh. Mary. Uh, Ultron. I made him Joseph. <laughs> and he has his arm. The way I position it, Ultron. He has his like hand over Hulk's shoulder. I see. Yeah, it, it's pretty epic the way that they're yeah. posed. And then I have these three random snowmen. But if you look at it closely, they're all New York snowmen. Like one's a Syracuse one, one's a Jets one, and a Yankees one. And they're like I consider like the three wise asses, pretty much. Yeah, that's about right. And then the angel, of course, has Spider-Man hanging from uh, my table, pretty much. Of course. And then let's get to it. Baby Jesus is Deadpool. Not shocking. Not surprised Not shocking. at all. I mean, but we didn't even is, need to say spoiler alert. Before yeah, that. but the way I have Deadpool, though, is a standee. I have Deadpool. It's one of those statues you can piece apart and put together in different ways kind of thing. And so I just took the top half, took, uh, ripped it off, and just wrapped it in tissue, like a cloth. And I put like, his katanas underneath them, kind of like gifts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then there's a sign behind him that says, behold me. And <laughs> it, it works, man. It, it definitely works. It's like that variant cover that you expect to see around this time of year. Oh yeah. That we haven't seen yet. So if anybody from Marvel's listening, uh, there's your suggestion right there. Just make sure you put the little down and nerdy podcast logo in the corner. Oh yeah, man. But I mean, I, I like that people are liking it. Uh, you know, we had a couple of listeners that said that one of them said that I, that I broke her husband because <laughs> he was hey, like, too hard at it. That's just something that we do. You have to be prepared for that when you listen to the show and go on our Facebook page. Exactly, exactly. That's going to do it for intro. Come next. It's going to be what we're reading. Got two different comics, and uh, let's just say we're going to discover the master race. Come next. You're on Down and Nerdy. This is comic book writer Jackson Landon, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, it's that time, boys and girls. We get our long boxes and we sing our Christmas carols because it's time for what we're reading this week. And James, I'm going to have you go first. And we kind of did a little bit of a switcheroo. I did a DC book. You did a Marvel. So enlighten the people on what you did this week. Well, we're trying to kind of explore the all-new, all-different realm from Marvel. You know, give some stuff a chance. So I looked and I was like, you know what? Why not Daredevil? How about The Man Without Fear? Number one, Charles Soule's now the writer on the book. Ron Garney is the artist in colors by Matt Miller. And uh, VC's Clayton Cowles actually does lettering and production. Now, there's a new suit, okay? I'm going to get yep. that right out of the, get that right out of the way. It's like I don't have a black and red. Some people have a problem with it. It makes it look more gritty, okay? And yep. For some reason, it like adds mass 
to yeah. the character, so he doesn't look like that. Well, remember, he had a black suit, like a black and red suit right. in the and past. He looks a lot less scrawny in this yeah. series than he did in the previous series. So that I kind of liked right off the get, and it made him look a little bit more menacing too, which I also liked. And I also got to say that the colors that they do use from Matt Miller really pop. I mean, it really makes a difference in this book. It was kind of like in Black Magic where the only time you saw a color was yeah. when the magic was happening. It seems like the only time you really see color is when Daredevil is there. I mean, there's subtle shades of color in other parts of the book as well. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, and when Matt Murdock comes in as well, there's some color there. But really, only when Daredevil's around is there any shift in color. So I actually thought that was kind of cool. But when they say all new, all different, this is all new and all different. There's a whole new set of villains in here. Ten Fingers is the name of the new villain. And here's a little nugget, which isn't really a spoiler because dude's on the cover, okay? Daredevil's got himself a little bit of a sidekick now. Called Blind Spot. Yeah. <laughs> which I, I think is an interesting name. Oh, yeah. I mean, think how like he's blind. He has a sidekick called Blind Spot. Way to, way to go. Way to be very, very, like, I almost considered meta, but very, like, Close to the, to the, to the I actually think too. that later on in the series, there is gonna that is gonna end up being a metaphor for something. I'm yeah. kind of thinking that it will be. But Next, I, you know, there's like a panel that if you're watching Blind Spot NBC, that would be very interesting. <laughs> hey, why wouldn't you, right? Because well, Matt Murdock, not so much because you know, that's so, a lot. You know, I mean, he can't really watch it. But I digress. Yeah. Um, for if you're wondering if this is kind of playing anything off of the post Secret Wars kind of stuff, well, Matt Murdock, I guess maybe a little bit of a spoiler. I really don't think it is, but I'm going to tell you anyway. He is practicing law again. Yeah. But he's on the other side now. He's a prosecutor now. So it's a little bit different. And the way they go about there's there's significant amount of action in the very beginning of this book. And then there's a lot of tension towards the end. And some of that has to do with Matt Murdock's relationship with Foggy. And this blind spot character that has come into his life now. And there's a lot of tension there. And it turns out that what happens in the beginning of the book, there's a reason why Daredevil does what he does in the beginning. And you kind of find that out towards the end. Now, here's the thing that gets me. There's a big reveal at the end of the villain, Ten Fingers. I won't, ex I won't go into details. I want you to see for yourself. But it's the person that's standing behind him that is interesting to me. Yeah. So if you've read this series, let us know what you think. Tweet us at down and nerdy seven five seven or tweet me at James Ace with him. Tell me if you think you know who that is or who that might be in the background. I don't want to give it away because I want you to read this series for yourself. But let me know who you think it is. But overall, the art's pretty detailed. I mean, the inks are great. The inks are very good. So I cannot say that. I mean, the def the art to me, I know that people liked the last series, but to me, the art is kind of a step up in this series, so I like that they changed that a little bit, and I think that Ron Garney is just adds a grittiness to the character that wasn't there before, and Matt Miller, again, excellent job with the colors, and I know that there's complaints that this book's missing the lightheartedness, even that the Netflix series have, which might have been the most gritty version of Daredevil ever. Yeah. Um, yeah, the lightheartedness is a little bit missing, even from the Matt Murdock character. I will say that, and that was a little bit of a turnoff, uh, I'm not sure I care about the villain that they're that they've introduced. Yeah. I mean, I know it's new. It doesn't seem menacing enough to me, and it seems like it's kind of been done. But I'm gonna hold off judgment, and I think this will be a pickup for me. Okay, so you're gonna give it about two, three issues. Yeah, we'll about two, or three goes. issues. I just worry that I wasn't wowed by the first issue, and I feel like 
the second issue could e- it's going to go either way. Either it's going to be a huge there's step been, up or a huge drop up. Well, there's been the trend with Marvel lately. It's all new, all different. Uh, before I've been talking with uh, Bob over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards, uh, where I went to pick up my poll the other day, and we were talking about the all new, all difference. And the first issues were a lot of man, a lot of stumbling blocks. Like yeah. it's, and we understand it's you know it's just for any first issue, but still. A lot of the all new all difference, they're not selling a lot. But you like, want to be wowed by a first issue. Oh you know, yeah, at you, least you to a degree. To, you want something to grab you. You know what I'm saying? Like you want something to grab you, especially if it's a you know, dare, especially after you know the last Daredevil run. Like I didn't like it because the art just took me out. Like it really just I couldn't read it because the art was was poor. But especially when you're coming off the Netflix show, you want that like to that to, you know grab you know to grab somebody and then to have it where you know you're stumbling. And and you don't want it to be the same as a series. I mean, I no, get that. You, you, don't. you definitely don't. But, but I mean, well, think can... about think about Batman and Robin Eternal. Okay, when you read yeah. that number one issue, oh, there yeah. were a couple things in there that made you go, "Whoa, what just happened?" Especially the end of that book. That's what I want from number from a number one issue. I want to be hooked at some point, and I just didn't feel like I was hooked. Exactly. I mean, you just, you just want that number one issue to grab you, like my number one issue did this week. And this week, as I mentioned in the intro. We're going to talk about the Master Race because I did. I picked up Dark Knight 3, the Master Race, book one of, I believe, eight series it's going to be. It's going to be an eight-part series from, of course, Frank Miller, story by Frank Miller and Brian Azzarello, pencils by Andy Cooper, and inks, of course, by the great Klaus Jansen, colors by Brad Anderson, letters by Clem Robbins. Now, here's the thing. So I know that there was a lot of fallback and kind of people weren't really digging uh, the sequel to Dark Knight Returns, and I, was, I liked what they did with Dick Grayson. I liked how they made him the villain and everything else. But the thing is, the way that this book one ends up, you can literally read the Dark Knight Returns and pick this up right after, kind of thing. It's almost like a writing the wrongs kind of thing, is what you're saying. Yeah, um, if you because, want to call it that, well, because it starts off where you know you see the the, the cowl. And it's in the stand, and pretty much, so he breaks the glass and takes the cowl. Uh, there's been mm. a time where there's been no Batman, really. And then what hap- You know, and then what happens is Batman comes back. And the thing is, there's more to Batman in this issue. I'm not gonna spoil because there's a big reveal at the end. Then that meets the eye. Superman is a big thing with Superman. At the end, and kind of Supergirl makes an appearance as well. Uh, you know, we see a little bit of Wonder Woman as well. And that's kind of the thing with that, though, in a sense. You know, and I know they brought in a lot of the DC characters in the second, the sequel to Dark Knight Returns. And it was called what? Dark Knight Strikes Back, I believe. It was Dark called. Knight Strikes Again, yeah. Strikes Again, yeah. Uh, it's been a while since I read it. And, um, you know, the thing is, they brought in a, they pushed a whole DC can for that. So, of course, you, know, you get Wonder Woman who makes an appearance, Superman. In a sense, makes an appearance Supergirl. But this, again, Commissioner and, and pretty much, again, doing her all-out attack on Batman, saying, you know, stop this person, Batman must be stopped, everything else. Fast forward to the end, uh, something happens with Batman, and then there's that reveal. And this grabbed me because I'm like, you know, it, it was one of those things where, again, it, I think it made up for the sequel a little bit. Uh, mind you, this is in the future. And I, th- it's very fast paced because the ending is kind of like, okay, you know, we're, we're, it's picking up, it's picking up. There, the art is great. The you know, Klaus did a great job with everything, and everybody did a great job with the art. 
Um, this is a book where, again, it's, it's Frank Miller. It's dark. It's gritty. It's bloody. Uh, there, are, you know, the graphic things where people are getting beaten down, and it's uh, it's pretty pretty awesome. I, I think that they really really did a great job uh, with this book. Uh, I remember it's book one. I believe it says it's an eight part series. I believe. I think so. Yeah. And so I'm looking forward to how and, and what comes forward. Because remember, if you and I'm looking forward to see like okay. In this, and one other thing I want to mention too in this is in this book they didn't really introduce a big bad. Like a lot of number ones were introduced that that, that recurring big bad, uh, like you did. We you know with Ten Fingers and Ten Finger Gang and everything else. This one there wasn't. This one focused solely on Batman and how Batman's back and how you know the commissioner now is kind of in a struggle, like, oh, damn it, we had this whole kind of thing where mm. Batman wasn't around and things were good, and now Batman's back, and it's just, you know, assaulting officers, you know, insulting people and everything else, and it's just, yeah, it's it's very fast-paced, and it picks it up really well. Uh, this is a pull for me, man. I liked it. The art is just phenomenal. Um, I like that grit, man. Batman, I, I like Miller's mm. writing, you know, albeit what the CPU didn't like the sequel, the writing owned by Frank Miller, man, and, and, and Azarello, it, it's really, really good. And I know Miller's pretty much said that Azarello, I believe, has more input on the story, what's being written, than Miller Well, he's Miller done a really itself. good job with what he's been writing lately. So oh, I mean, yeah. Can't really, no, I can't really argue with that. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it's a great job by everybody around. And, again, it's a it's a pull for me. Let me ask you this before we move on to This Week in Geektainment. When you talk about the big reveal at the end, of course, without spoiling anything, you know how sometimes you kind of see a big reveal coming? Yeah. Would you say that the big reveal you got at the end, did you see this coming at all, or was this like a big shocker? I had a, It was one of those things where I had a hint of the, the big reveal at the end. I'm like, okay, I, I kind of feel like this is what's going to be told in the reveal. And when it happened, I wasn't mad that I knew beforehand. I was just like, okay, yeah, I, I can see. I can, yeah. I, can, I can see, especially you know, with who it involves, I can see why you know, the reveal makes sense. So it's not like this this week's episode of Supergirl. It comes out of friggin' nowhere then. No, pretty okay. much. Okay, well, that, that's good to know. <laughs> no, not, not at all. But again, just great job, everybody around. And I mean, Dark Knight 3 of the Master Race, off to a really, really good start by Frank Miller and company. All righty, well, that's going to do it for this week and what we're reading. Time to switch to this week in Geektainment. It's going to be coming up next on Down and Nerdy. Hi, everyone. This is artist Nicholas Scott, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, that lovely cheese pizza that used to be just for Kevin McAllister has just been stolen by four turtles in masks who've decided to drop another trailer this week. And Nick, we didn't expect to see a trailer for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 this soon, but we did just get one. Mmm, pizza. Mm. Uh, dude, I can't wait for Sunday for my cheat day so I can just down the whole fucking pizza and be lonely. <laughs> Is there is it flavored with the tears? Yeah, that's one of the much. extra toppings it's that they flavored, don't charge you for. It's flavored with sorrow and depression, <laughs> which I guess some people feel about this franchise. With a, with, a, with a crust of I deserve this. <laughs> I deserve this. Is that gluten free? <laughs> no, not at all. Ah, no celiac <laughs> disease for you. No, my uncle has it though. <laughs> uh, I've got a cousin that has it. So yay! Oh, so before we thank you for listening to Nick and James's Health Corner, but uh, yeah. So anyways, the new trailer for TMNT two was called Into the Shadows. I believe it's called Out of the Shadows. Out of the, the Shadows. Sh- whatever. It's got a subtitle. Look it up. And you got re- Google. I want to dive into the title before the actual trailer. Out of the shadows, there is a scene in this where now people know they exist, which I'm kind of like, 
you know, they're ninjas, and ninjas are kind of secret. Work in the shadows? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't That's know. kind of saying, you know. I mean, but, I guess they had to out themselves eventually. Right. But, for lack of a better term. But to start off with the trailer, though, it opens up with Princess Wormhole opening up in the middle of the sky, and could it be Dimension X? We see things falling from the sky, and James, here's why I think that stuff that is that's falling from the sky. I think... They are going to go the Dimension X route, and I think those are pieces of Craig's uh, sphere of base. I cannot doubt that for a second. I would I would echo that 100%. I think that they're showing a progression here, just like they've kind of showed in the animated series in the past and even the new one. They're showing you a progression of, okay, here's where we're going eventually. Right. And really, this to me... This, to me, is their kitchen sink movie. Oh, We're going to yeah. throw everything at you and show you just how many problems there are going to be for the Turtles. Well, when I first watched the trailer, I'm like, oh, man, this looks bad. Da, da, da. Then I'm like, well, wait a minute. This is very, very resembling of the cartoon from back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... I'm down with this because if this is what they're going for, we're saying, you know what, we're just going to take the cartoon and make it live action. I am down with that. Yeah, and I mean, I was impressed with it right away. I, I was, I loved the fact that I thought Bebop and Rocksteady oh. looked great. We'll get into that. Oh, yeah. Um, I like what they did. I'm actually impressed with Tyler Perry and Baxter Stockman. I was yeah. actually very impressed with how he portrayed that. I wasn't sure how that was going to go off. The only thing that still kind of bugs me is Megan Fox as April. You know, she yeah. ties the t-shirt and all that, and I'm like, come well, on. Well, you know, Michael Bay is not directing it. He's producing <laughs> it, but that's still very Michael Bay. You know, he doesn't have some skin in his films, even though he's I mean, producing it. I'm not a prude, man, but, I mean, no. it's like, this is, I'm. it's more to me about the character than it is about that. Right. And it's like, I just feel like April wouldn't really do that kind of thing. Right. But I don't want to nitpick either. But and I'm not trying to find something I don't like about this just because half the world doesn't seem to like it. I was jazzed for this. I saw it. I was like, wow, this is a nice step up from the first one. I actually enjoyed the first one. I think that they're going to have a lot of action going on. My guy Stephen Amell's in here. How can I be upset about that? Yep, it's Casey I, Jones. And I want to talk about that, too, is that you know people are saying, oh, Casey Jones looks too preppy. He looks too clean. Like, listen, I understand he's in the you know comics a lot of things. He's the long-haired, you know city guy, you know what I'm saying? But people evolve. Like, this is 2015. Not a lot of people have the long hair look yeah. anymore. A lot of people are more of the kind of, you know, clean or, or you know, uh, uh, not really... Short hair goatee yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, not, you know, not really hipster-esque, but, I mean, you know, who did you want to play Casey Jones? Yeah. Jason Momoa? Hank Williams Jr.? What would have made you happy? I mean, I think Stephen. I think you want somebody that can get the action elements down, and I think Stephen Amell, the way his style is that he's trained for with Arrow, I think perfectly translates over to Casey Jones. Exactly, exactly. And you know, let's just say right now, the whole turtle garbage truck. I mean, we saw it towards the end of the first movie, mm-hmm. dude. It looks. It's the same. This is what I'm saying. I'm like, they took elements of the toys. They took elements yep. of the cartoon because that turtle truck would shoot those sewer uh, tops at the bad guys. I'm like, that's like the truck I had when I was a kid, man. Exactly. And is it me? Or have you kind of gotten used to the look that they gave the turtles now? Because I'm used, used to, it. to it. I've gotten used to it. I mean, I know there was a lot of complaints initially, Mikey, but I'm Mikey's, totally used to it. 
Mikey is still a little weird looking, but I, I'm used to it now. You know what I'm saying? I'm used to the looks and everything else like that. And when they're getting ready, like guys, you'll power up a suit up or whatever like that. Donnie's got the new like electric bow staff and mm-hmm. and you know, Leo's just getting ready for you know, it, it's just really cool looking. It was really, really cool looking. I got a little bit amped. But let's of course head on to of course the two biggest parts of this trailer. Of course, talk about Bebop and Rocksteady now. In the beginning, remember, like, in the comics and stuff like that, they were human before they were transformed. Right. They look fucking awesome, dude. They look fantastic. And if I hear somebody say, oh, CGI, I'm going to punch them right in the damn face. Stop it. They look absolutely amazing. And I think the only reason we saw them transformed in this trailer is to shut people up about the whole, oh, so they're going to be human in the movie? No. Stop it. Shut your mouth. And this is why maybe... DC should have shown the fully formed Doomsday of the Batman vs. Superman trailer because that's all anybody's talking about now. Now we're going to get to shut up about Bebop and Rocksteady. They look amazing. Like you said, straight out of the animated series. They really did a great job of capturing these two very important characters going forward. I mean, we didn't get to see uh, Baxter Stockman completely transformed. I think we kind of saw... The beginnings of that happening, I kind of teased in the trailer. We didn't see that. Yeah. I'm expecting that to be just as good as this because Bebop and Rocksteady look unbelievable. I, I think Bebop, yeah, I think Bebop and Rocksteady, of course, are going to be probably most likely the two main antagonists of the film. Of course, you, know, you got Shredder back. Um, but here's the thing, too, is that I think what they're doing is I think they're going to sub Craig for the third movie. I agree. I, I, I think that's what they're going to do. Uh, I think you're going to do that, and I think maybe we won't see Tyler Perry transform into the fly version of Stockman, probably until the end. He's probably going to be then, you know, the tech guy, and kind of the tech guy for both uh, Krang and Shredder, because then that whole base will come to action, and we're going right. to see, you know, like I said, and, and, and at first, like I said, I was I was down on the trailer. I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. It looks like, it looks bad. But then I'm like, wait a minute, this is just taking things, for, you know, then I'm like, okay, this is what we're doing. And I felt like, I don't know if you felt about this way, James, but when I watched it for like the second and third time, I'm like, this feels more like an apology for the first film. And they're saying, you know what, we're going to give people what they really want. We're not going to give them a movie that looks like it might be based solely on April O'Neil. It's actually be based on the Turtles and be about Rocksteady. And we're going to give people the fanfare that they want. Yeah, I didn't really have a problem with the first movie. I know a lot of people did. I actually thought it was better than I expected. I don't know if that says much or not. But... Uh, I guess I kind of get what you're saying, that maybe there wasn't enough focus on the Turtles in the first movie, and I think you're right, I think there will be here, and I think that this will humanize them a little bit too, even a little bit more, because they're, you know, they're showing themselves to the public now, and everybody's going to know about them kind of thing, but I like that they're going to bring back the stuff that worked in the first film the most, the, the humor elements are there, even with Bebop and Rocksteady, the whole, he's getting ready to charge him, he's like, oh, you got jokes now, huh, yeah. kind of thing, and, and, and all that stuff, and some of the jokes are like uh, Will well, Forte, shouldn't well, we follow the turtles we well, always follow the turtles when there's danger and that's the important thing is that now in the first movie i think the big problem in the first movie was there wasn't anybody the turtles could bounce the jokes off of that made them work and in this one they have two characters they can joke with they they can bounce off of each other you know right right exactly. be rock steady and that's the importance of them so i mean I, i'm excited for it dude like even if the, i'll say this even if we go see the movie we're gonna see the movie but even of when course. we go see it and even if it's just like not good i'm like you know what I got Bebop and Rocksteady. I got this. Okay, you know, I, I you got to take it. We're just part, I, I think, of, of Geekdom. You wanted to ask, talk about something, James, where I think, you know, I think we got to get to a point in, in fandom. And I know I, I, I am guilty of this, where, you know, it was like, 
I oh no the you know 80s and 90s Turtles live action movies are the best. Da, 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 I don't want this. You know, it's gotten to a point now where I'm like, listen, the gold standard will always be that first turtle film, what back exactly. in 89, 90. And I'm like, okay, that's always been the gold standard. We have to I have to accept the fact that these turtle films now, they're gonna be more cartoonish, more geared towards kids in a sense, or young, you know, people that are like sixteen to eighteen. Mm. Um, you know, and short attention spans, dude. You know, that's the thing. You know, we're gonna be action, 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 and just either you, you have to accept that or you, can't, you just keep on circling around in a loop of just the same repetitive beats pretty much in your right. arguments. If, if you think we're going to get a serious adult, like Dark Knight-esque version of the Turtles, that's probably not going to happen. If, if not for a long, long time. The Turtles have always kind of really been for kids, I think. And we can appreciate the, you know, the older Ninja Turtles cartoon, and I'm not really a big fan of the new one for a, for a lot of different reasons, but, and I think that what we need to realize is that these movies are, are very much based in these new film, I mean, in these new animated series, and actually the theme of that is kind of where they're going with it, even though they are, like you said, paying winks and nods to the original animated series, and I think we just need to start accepting things for what they are, and I was thinking about that. Uh, and that aspect of, like you said, the fandom, and it got me to thinking, and I want to ask you about this, because I think it's a discussion that kind of fits in with this. Are we expecting too much from the latest Transformers films? So you're saying, like, because Bay's produced it, it was producing it, it's going to be very Transformers-esque, you think people, that's what's rubbing people the wrong way, the fact well, that... I, I think that we've kind of accepted Turtles for what it is, because I, for some reason we have more of an ability to do that. Yeah. I think that that animated series is more fresh in people's heads than the original Transformers was, because that was more 84, well, 85-ish. I think it's not as why, fresh. I think the reason why people cling more <laughs> about the whole Transformers thing than really the Turtles, in a sense, is because you really think about it, uh, throughout the past couple of decades, what's the, the one out of the two franchises that's been more in the mainstream, and that's Turtles. Turtles has always had comics. They've always, they've always had, uh, you know, movies of some sort. They've always had shows. Transformers, I really can't think of a show since, like, Beast Wars, dude. That was, like, mid-90s, late 90s. I mean, they've had, like, stuff like Rescue Bots and little things here and there, but again, all those were geared towards kids. There wasn't really a seriousness in the Transformers franchise, and I think that maybe, may, and I know that, hey, I will still say that Age of Extinction was a steaming pile of garbage, but oh, yeah. maybe we were kind of looking at those movies the wrong way and not kind of looking at them the way we should have been looking at, like we've been looking at the Turtles, where you kind of accept that they're not made for us. Maybe they're not. The Transformers movies haven't been made for us. Maybe they will be going forward. Maybe they realized now, you know, we can't make these movies like this. We need to make them for adults because that's who's going to go see them, not necessarily the kids. So maybe with this new writer's room and everything, they're going to flip the script a little bit and start doing it that way. But as I'm talking about the last couple in particular. Maybe what we didn't realize, and even back to the Shia LaBeouf movies, maybe they just weren't made for us. Again, I think it falls more of, I don't know if they weren't just made for us. I think it was more of Hasbro just wanted to pretty much say, you know what, we're going to do this. Let's just fucking do it. Um, I think it was more also in the long run. Again, I think it was more the problem was there wasn't really a lot of uh, material in terms of shows like that as there was for TMNT. So when you get something like Transformers that really hasn't, you know, it's been around for a while, but you still have the main nucleus of 
fans are from like the 80s and, and night you know early 90s and they're more adult than exactly. the Turtles crowd would be because there's a and, five-year separation and, there and would be more adult comes being more critical of things and that's the thing is that the the fan base of transformers now even today i think it's still people who are our age you know and and, and hold on to it more dear because they right. up with it whereas with turtles turtles were they were always evolving like you had the team of team i believe like 2011 it was all animated and stuff like that now you got the new series and everything else and the stuff from idw you know like they, they that's the thing is turtle the turtles for lack of a better phrase and term they've been evolving you know, right. constantly throughout the years. For Transformers, they've been pretty stagnant in terms of uh, properties and stuff like that. And, and the fans would, and it pretty much it didn't allow the fan base to evolve. I think it went right. to Transformers. And what I'm saying is, they tried to make these movies for a younger generation that didn't care as much as my generation did, because that's you know I was like five years old when Transformers came out, the the first animated series. So that's near and dear to me. And and I think that we got older. And the tra- and the turtles wasn't until like eighty nine ninety I believe the uh, the movie and even the animated series was about a year or so before that. But that separation in years I think speaks volumes to okay they tried to do this with Transformers and because most of the adults loved the Transformers it didn't work because they weren't making them for us and with the kids like you said there's always something fresh from Turtles that you can look at and I know there were some animated series for uh, Transformers, but not nearly as big as something that they've done with Turtles. So I think that that was maybe the failing of these Transformers movies was trying to gear them towards kids when maybe they should have just said, screw it, and made them for adults. Yeah, yeah, I think it should have made them for, more for a generation. But before we wrap up this segment, James, I think here's what we got to do is we always do with our trailer talks. Let's pick something that we're excited about, and then let's, with TMNT 2... And let's pick something that we might be worrisome about in okay. the sequel. Uh, what I'm excited about is seeing Bebop and Rocksteady in action even more. And I think that they are going to be an even bigger part of this movie than we even first anticipated. I think we're going to see them a lot. I can't wait to see the byplay like you were talking about between the characters and the bouncing the jokes off of each other. And I just think the action sequences are going to be off the charts with these guys, especially that scene with the tank yep. and the trailer. Oh, my God. I mean, I just think it's going to look amazing. Yep. Uh, okay. So you go we, ahead and give me something you're looking forward to, and then we'll do the right, So I know B.I.R. Rocks have big things. I'm I'm actually more forward to seeing the turtle truck. And I know people say, well, it's not really a van. It's a garbage truck. Listen, it's you got when you have people like turtles who are of that size, you need something bigger than a van. Yeah. And like I said, man, like seeing it shooting those discs out, man, that's like the, the van I had growing up as a kid, dude. Yep. Like it shot discs from the front of it, and I'm like, I'm in. I, I'm looking more forward to seeing that in action because we never really saw that in action in the last movie. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the turtle truck more than anything. And also, of course, uh, if they do do the Dimension X route, seeing Krang possibly make an appearance. Uh, if we see Krang in like an end credit yeah. scene or something, that yeah. would be sweet. Yeah, I'll get those turtles. That was pretty good, actually. Thank you. Let's let's just mark that down right now. Let's, All right, let's just get that for future reference. All right. So even though that was a high point, let's kind of end it a little bit on a low point. What's something you're worried about in the sequel? Okay, I'll say I'll say so, this. Outside of Megan Fox. Well, it kind of has to do with Megan Fox, but not really. Okay. I'm worried that we're gonna get too much of a focus on a love story yep. between Casey Jones. Yep. And April O'Neil too soon. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want that to be, I don't want to take the focus away from Bebop and Rocksteady and the Turtles and even Shredder to a, to a lesser extent and Baxter Stockman, all the villains that we're going to have 
in this, it's like Gotham's doing Rise of the Villains, right? We're focusing on that. I'd like to see more of a focus on that and how the Turtles deal with that. I don't want to get bogged down too much. I know that there's going to be some of it. I'm not an idiot. I'm not saying there shouldn't be any. I'm just worried that we're going to have a lot more of it than we should in this first movie. Right. I, I think that uh, with Casey Jones and April O'Neil, it's something that you have to bring along slowly, I think. Uh, do spread it out over a couple of films. I believe that's what they did with the older versions. They spread out the yes. whole story with them yes. and the relationship over a couple of films, <laughs> and uh, do it like that. Because I mean, the problem is in the trailer too is we kind of see the whole when, she, when he says I'm Casey Jones and she already looks smitten. And I'm like, yeah, oh shit. Well, like, I mean, it's Stephen Amell, so I'm, I. I mean, he but... is fantastic. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. I mean, anybody can do a Sam Sam and Ladder is number one in my book, but uh, you know, yeah, I, I just hope they don't do too much of this, or at least rush into the whole love story. Because that was a big problem a lot of people had, even us. That was a lot, of problem a lot of people had, including us, with the first film was, hey, they focused too much on Megan Fox. You know, it's kind of like, go, again, going to see Godzilla and focusing too much on the humans. I'm going to a Turtles film that I want to see Turtles, funny Bebop and Rocksteady and Shredder and shit like that. And then love story, put that a little bit in the background, make it second-tier importance. I totally agree. So we can't wait to see this. We were lucky to get the trailer as early as we did. Ah, it's Christmas time for nerds after all. But coming up next, we've got an iron fist full of nerd news. And that's right here on Down and Nerdy. Hey, guys. This is Dexter Darden from the Maze Runner series. And you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, James, it's that time. We go around all the internet dojos and see what's trending because it's time for what? Nerd news! God, it's so great to have you. Ah, oh, it is, isn't it? Those golden pipes, I tell <laughs> you. But our first story, speaking of dojos, deals with Iron Fist and James. I'm going to let you run with this because this is something that's kind of been a little bit of your craw a little bit over the past couple of weeks because people were doubting where we're going to get an Iron Fist show and, and, and stuff like that. And it appears that now we are because they've landed a showrunner. Oh, finally we can stop speculating and talking about it because Joe Casada actually kind of dropped the hint that, hey, Iron Fist is still going to be happening with Netflix. And sure enough, it is indeed Scott Buck, who, of course, he was the, you know, the EP on Dexter, and he also was involved in Six Feet Under, is going to be the new showrunner for the Marvel and Netflix series. Of course, no details released on, you know, when the release date's going to be or any casting or or anything right. like that, but aren't you just relieved? Don't you feel like you could breathe a sigh of relief now that we can finally stop wondering, oh, are they going to go the Punisher route? Are they going to do Ghost Rider? No, they're going to do exactly what they were going to do originally, so like you said in another story earlier this week on our Facebook page, sit down. <laughs> yeah, it was my, uh, the, the story he was referring to is, of course, the whole notion of, hey, there's no, you know, Disney came out and said, yeah, no Jar Jar Banks in The Force Awakens, so sit down. All you people were saying, what if he's the Darth guy? Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I'm excited for this because, I mean, you can't have the Fenders and not have Iron Fist. Right. Like, that's why I, I kind of found the whole questioning of it silly because I'm like, you do know they're doing the Defenders, right? You do know Iron Fist, Daniel Rand, is an important part of that, right? And you yeah. do know that they did set up that Iron Fist thing in Daredevil with Stick sitting down with a, a, who appears to be Goliath. Yep. And, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things, man, where I'm very excited about. Now, of course, the next one I'm sure I believe is going to be Luke Cage. Uh, and then I believe it's going to be se- – is it going to be second season of Daredevil? I, then think, Iron Fist? I don't think they've really made that clear yet. I think we actually might get second season of Daredevil first. 
And yeah. then Luke Cage, it's not really made clear. I don't really care what the order is. I thought Luke Cage I mean, was next. I thought it was too, but I, I, they haven't really made it clear. Okay. So we'll, we'll just have to see what happens. I know that they're kind of still, they're, they're shooting Daredevil and they're still shooting Nick Cage as well. So it's almost concurrent. <laughs> they're not shooting Nick Cage, shooting Luke Cage. Oh, look. Big <laughs> fucking difference there. <laughs> I'm here to see Jessica Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impregnable skin. <laughs> I cannot be defeated. <laughs> All right, that's enough of that. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh, well, that was a nice little kind of left turn there. <laughs> that was a nice little left turn. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that uh, it's a good good move by Marvel to get the show running now. And that, like I said, now it's going to come down to once the show is written and, and stuff like that, who are they going to cast for Daniel Rand? And I, I mean, mean, honestly, dude, I, I don't want to get into the hole. And I, and I'm so tired of people getting into the hole. He needs to be Asian. He doesn't need to be Asian. You know what he needs to be? The right freaking person for the part. That's what he needs and, to be. And I, 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 I got to admit, Marvel, when it comes to casting, you know, say whatever you want about the shows or even some of the movies. They've gotten it right for the most part. And so, I mean, especially in these shows... And so you got Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones, and yep. you got you know uh, uh, Michael Coulter. Michael, yeah, well, Mike Coulter is Luke Cage, uh, but I was also thinking about Charlie Cox as as Matt. Oh Brown yeah, they really got that right. Yeah, and and you know, so I'm saying, okay, my, my trust is with Marvel. Whoever they want to cast, I, I'm for because I know that they did their homework. You know, that's why I think Tom Holland's gonna be a good Spider Man. But moving on. To our next story, James, I'll let you uh, introduce this one. Yeah, and it's dealing with the Dark Tower, of course, the Stephen King adaptation. And looks like we might have a little bit of an idea of who might be playing the lead in that series. And it's a guy that's pretty much people want to play everything, it seems like, nowadays, is Idris Elba. Now, I know, Nick, you're more kind of in tune with the Dark Tower and you know a little bit more about it than I do. So how would you feel about Idris Elba taking the lead in this? I don't think he's the right fit. And here's why. Because... Uh, the main role of Roland in the Dark Tower, he was modeled after Clint Eastwood's Man With No Name. But that's the thing, is that he, he's modeled after a certain person, and there's a reason why he's modeled after that and why it's written that way. I mean, I know that they're still, they're, say they're still negotiating with Matthew McConaughey to possibly a part, be a part of the film as well. And uh, the, the Man in Black, uh, uh, Walter Padlick, is uh, who they're saying he might play, I think they said. But I, again, it's he's, he's modeled after... He's not modeled after Idris Elba. He was modeled after Stephen. Modeled after uh, Clint Eastwood's Man with No Name, and I want to see that, you know. And you know, and one of the big lines is, you know, they talk about his blue eyes and how, you know, and stuff like that. And there was a big character trait about that, you know. So I don't want to lose that man. I mean, if I get like a, a Chris Hemsworth in there or something like that, cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I understand but, what you're saying, and, and and I think that it's too easy to jump on the race thing because I think that we do that a lot not just in in you know films and stuff but in society in general I think yeah. we, I think we go there too quickly more maybe more quickly now than ever and I don't think that now if Idris Elba goes in there he nails it he's the right guy for the part he just goes in there and reads and they're like this is our guy this is it then I totally understand that because that will translate into the film. I think that you would agree with that as well despite any of the character traits because we've said that on the show a million times but what we don't want to ever see is somebody forced into a role for other reasons. Yeah, and I think that that's the, the, the issue is that, you know, when I look at this, and like I said, it's been a while since I've read it, but it's, uh, you know, here's the thing. It's just when you, when you have a guy who's modeled like Clint, like specifically, like specifically when he's modeled after this one person, 
you gotta go with that route, man. I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, listen, I'm all for equality or anything else, but you gotta realize that in certain source material, certain traits and, and who a person plays and is plays a vital role in a successful movie and right. a, a comic series and a book series, you know? And, and I mean, that's the thing, you know, like I said, Idris Elba, I love him. I, 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 we've said on a show before, I would love to see Idris Elba play like a James Bond. Yeah, James, he would be a great Bond. And see, but and make it where Bond is more of just a title rather than just a actual person's well, name. And honestly, here's the deal. For some reason, people want Idris Elba to play everything now. Oh, yeah. I don't know why that is. He's a very talented actor, don't get me wrong. I do love Idris Elba, but... He's like the guy now that we point to. It's like, oh, Idris Elba should play him. Oh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is now. He's I only mean, one man. I mean, he can only be on so many sets at once. You I know mean, at saying? this point, people wanted Idris Elba to play Charlie Brown in the Peanuts movie. I mean, that's how popular <laughs> that he is right now. He's just hot. He's the hot name. And I understand why you would want to go out there and get him. He's got another Golden Globe nomination and, uh, and a SAG Award. A guy's very talented. But that doesn't mean he's right for everything. And that right. and this may be one of those things where you go, eh, Maybe we should look in another direction because it doesn't really, he doesn't really fit the mold, even though he's a very talented actor, it doesn't fit the necessarily mold of this character in this series. Exactly. So, like I said, uh, when it comes to the Dark Towers, that's what I'm going to say about this. I love Idris Elba. I just think that when you look at the source material, and remember, this is a movie that's been in development and been talked about for many, many years. So when something like this has been talked about for many, many years, you have to be faithful to the source material and you have to get it right. Like, there's more pressure, I think, because it's been postponed for so long. I agree. You know, so, I mean, you got to move on to it. But moving, speaking of moving on, we went to our final story this week, James. And, uh, you know, we, we both write a little bit, but we're not – our writing isn't really, I would say, something we would put in a comic book. But DC has decided to say, hey, you know what? We got this great guy in Scott Snyder, and let's have him lead our in-house writer development program. And I think that it's – it's very, very easy to know that Scott Snyder is extremely talented. Everything he puts pen to paper on or, you know, types into his computer, whatever. I mean, American Vampire, that's one series. The Wake, he did great with that. Batman, well, he's I done mean, fantastic with. Go back to last week where I interviewed with Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. And they talked about Scott Snyder and they said, you know, DC, got the, he's, he's the godfather. When it comes to Batman, he's the godfather. You right, know? exactly. So now he's going to be the one that's sort of taking the lead in this in-house writer development program. And you're saying, well, you know, what are we going to get out of that? Well, think about it. James Tyne in the fourth yep. and Marguerite Bennett were both products of this same exact program. And I want to go back to exactly what you said with Jackson, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly talking to them last week. One of the things they told us, if you remember, they said, this was our first superhero book. And we're jazzed about that. So who do you think made that happen? Scott Snyder probably looked at these guys and said, huh, look what they're doing on books like Hacktivist and stuff like that. These guys have got talent. Let's see what we can do with these guys in a series like Batman and Robin Eternal. I think that being a talent scout like that and kind of molding the next generation of writers, because Colin Kennelly and Jackson Lansing, young, young guys, these are up-and-coming guys in the industry. So if DC can have a guy like Scott Snyder, they can play talent scout for them and pick out and pick and choose, okay, this guy's great, and I think he'd fit great here or here or here, you know, with the Flash, Green Lantern, what have you. I think that this, for the future of DC Comics, is a huge deal. Exactly, and that's the thing, too, is when you look at this, now, mind you, nothing like this hasn't really been done since 95. That's when Marvel, of course, partnered with NYU on a writing workshop. It was called the Stan Hatton Project. Yep. And 
So you got to think about it, man. No other really publisher has this kind of in-house writing thing. And think about it. Think about all the great writers it's going to create. And you have a guy like Scott in there who's just going to lead these this great next generation of writers for DC. And it's, it's going to be a phenomenal thing. It's a, and it's a great idea. I mean, you know, if, if I was more involved in writing and, and I wanted to get into comics in, in terms of writing and stuff – Oh, you bet your ass I want to be a part of this. Oh, yeah, this is where you want to go. And, I mean, I think that uh, Columbia University and uh, Sarah Lawrence is one of the, is a couple of the places that Scott Snyder has actually been teaching fiction. Now, when you think about this, it almost kind of brings that writer's room feel back. Oh, yeah. That we've talked the bullpens, about. bullpens, dude. The yeah, the bullpens. And this is what you're developing. You've got these young writers who have an appreciation for the business because it's just so out there now. And there's so many people that are becoming interested in the comic book industry, even as a, because now, like you said, Nick, having a film degree, this is almost a parlay into possibly getting into films because you look at guys like Jeff Johns are consulting now and people that have been in comics, even Brian Michael Bendis to a degree that have been in comics that are now developing these TV series and these films. This is a gateway, comics. And comics is a first love for a lot of people, but you also want to kind of stretch your legs a little bit and do some other things. So I think that, you know, you could almost start in comics if you eventually want to be writing films and series. This is a good way to get your feet in the door, and maybe you fall in love with it and just want to keep writing comics. And that's going to do it for Nerd News. Now, come next, before... The book was released this week. We got a chance to sit down with Ali Masters, the writer of Boom Studios of Snowblind, to sit back, relax, and enjoy our discussion with Ali Masters, the writer for Snowblind. This is cartoonist Scotty Young, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, we're so excited to finally dive into something from Boom Studios, and it's something that really caught Nick and I's eye. It's a brand new series called Snowblind that's going to be coming out on December the 9th. We were very excited to have the writer for that series on this week. It's Ollie Masters. Ollie, how are you doing today? I'm fine. How are you guys? Oh, we're doing great, man. So for anybody who doesn't know anything about the series yet, tell us a little bit about Snowblind. Snowblind is about a teenager named Teddy who finds out his parents in witness protection after his house is broken into by a mysterious stranger and it follows him trying to find out why his parents are in the program and who this man is who tried to break into their house. And that's what really I like about it too is that, you know, I myself am a huge noir fan and what is it about that genre that both excites and intrigues you the most, Ali? It's hard to say because like I wouldn't count myself as like the biggest noir fan. Right. Not that I don't like it, it's just like... Um, a lot of it kind of seeped past me, but I was talking to someone about this the other day where it feels like noir is one of those things where it's so much a part of popular culture, so much that you you almost know it instinctively, even if you haven't read all the classic books and haven't seen all the classic films. But I was always a really big fan of, I guess you call it like neo-noir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like a lot of what like the Coen brothers do, like, you know, Taking a lot of, well, like, look at Big Lebowski. Take yeah, that, yeah. Like, you know, well, what's that? To, that's basically a remake of uh, Hammett. Or yeah. Hammett, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, taking those ideas and putting them in different contexts. And what I like about Nars, it's kind of, it's looking at human behavior and looking at how humans react to situations, how people, rather than human, how people react to situations and then coating it in this kind of like crime filter. And that's what I kind of like about it. It's a chance to to almost do like character pieces, but 
with that added kind of like uh, rougher element to it. Oh, definitely. And one of the things I like about the series, too, is that it's very visually striking because it's actually set in Alaska. What made you decide to choose Alaska as the setting? Well, a part of it was it, it mainly at first it came from thinking about, well, if these people have been in witness protection, they would have wanted to take them as far away as possible from where they originally from. And um, Teddy's parents, they come from the south. So, you know, going as far north as they possibly could. And I guess, like, I mean, I've never been there, and I guess this is probably a stereotype of Alaska rather than probably the reality of it, but, like, it seems so isolated from, like, mainland America that it adds that kind of distance to it, and this kind of, like, mm-hmm. they would have felt safe being that far away, but also had this sense of distance from their past before, which kind of, like, affects how the parents view their lives in this new place. And especially like, well, you look at something like Fargo, just that kind of the, the snow and the kind of like bleakness. Well, obviously, Fargo's not in Alaska, but like um, the snow and the bleakness of it, mm-hmm. it really adds to kind of like the feel. Really, it's almost like the shadows in uh, in like your classic noir story. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's almost coming at it from the opposite direction, but having a similar effect. Yeah, the white bleakness is kind of washing over everyone rather than the, the shadows. We're talking to Ali Masters from Snowblind. Issue 1 from Boom Studios will be released on December 9th. Issue 2 comes out January 13th. So, Ali, in the first issue, we see Teddy is very much an introvert, but we see him come out of his shell and he starts his whole investigation and he's asking people questions. As a writer, how important is it to have that type of character evolution so early on? I think you need that just to get people interested. Right. Yeah, you can you can slow it down a bit further on, but, like, I think you need that first. Like, you need people to... You need to kind of, like... Almost like a first issue is a great place to... You need to set things up, show the kind of status quo that the character's living in, and then have something happen which makes them change, and then you're then following them post that change. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, definitely. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, I, I mean, every story is different as well. You can't follow structure every time, but that's kind of like I think the best way of doing it. And I think it it gives you a reason to follow that person. Well, yeah, it, it doesn't become a hindrance to where like he, he'll find something out and then like, oh, it's because he's such an introvert that it right. hinders him from progressing. And that's what I like about that is that you progress him very much and very well as the series progresses. No, thank you. Actually, speaking of something happening, there's actually a major catalyst for the series in the first issue that has to do with an impromptu post on social media. Now, it's one of the reasons I really like this book because it really got me thinking. So is there a subtle message here about maybe the potential dangers of social media? Um, it's not a massive part of it. Like that, that was kind of, it to me, it seemed like an interesting way of starting things off. It really was. And, and like you say, it's, it's one of those things where like, I'm not necessarily making a comment about social media with it, but it's, it's something that I think helps kind of add a certain chill into your spine when it happens. Like, mm-hmm. when you find out, you know, it's for that reason, it kind of... Because we've all said something stupid online at some point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, you, can't, you can't interact online without having said something stupid or done something stupid. And... For that to come back to haunt you like 20 years later, that's a really weird thing to think about, yeah. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, we've all done bad things in our past. 
Like everyone has, mm. no matter if you're the biggest saint in the world, you've done bad things. And for that to come up again at some point in the future, because we're now all so accessible online, it's, it's a kind of, it is a weird thing to think about. It's that, and, it's, uh, sorry, Karen. It's, it's more of that, uh, be careful what you post kind of mentality. Exactly. Yeah. Which, to us, maybe that's not quite such a bad thing. Maybe people should think about what before they post things online. Yeah, and that's the thing. When I was reading it, I didn't think that that was necessarily what you were going for, but I thought that that was a nice little kind of side thing to make you think in the series. So I thought that was a really cool way to start out. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. I didn't want to, the, the series isn't really about that, but I thought that was a nice way of it's, it's something which, well, at least most people in like, um, in like Western societies, they could identify with that. Oh, definitely. Yeah, they could definitely see that happening to the not in this way, but yeah, that happening to themselves. But also kind of um, shows how weird it is that Teddy's dad reacts that way as well. Yes. Because we all, yeah, we all have people posting that picture for themselves online and it's become such a normalcy. But if someone ever like really got angry at you for posting, yeah, it's still a jokey photo, but if someone got really angry with you, it would feel weird, wouldn't it? Like, oh, yeah. That angry because it's so common. Oh, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, there needed to be a thing of, like, Teddy wondering why his dad reacted that badly to right. it. And that's what creates that really good sense of mystery. And, you know, the writing is just phenomenal. And, you know, I saw on your Tumblr page you posted a photo of a bunch of albums you listen to uh, while you write. And I, and I noticed one of them was actually Miles Davis. Um, and when you're writing a certain genre, like a noir or whatever genre, what are some benefits of listening to music that could sort of fit that genre? Because when a lot of people think noir, they think, you know, 1930s, in the city, you know, smoke come from the grates and guys in trench coats. Mm-hmm. No, well, I, um, I always listen to music when I write. Like, I almost kind of, um, I need something to shut off a certain part of my brain to let the rest of it get going. Mm-hmm. So that's why I always have music on. So I always make these big, like, I mean, like, sometimes, like, 30-album playlists for everything I write. Wow. Yeah, like, I just dump as much stuff into it just to go. But, like, um, yeah, I think music is important. I mean, I'm I'm a massive film fan. And for me, like, one of the things I love about film so much is that mixture of um, of music and visual images. Mm-hmm. And I think that when I'm writing, it's not it's not that I'm trying to recreate a sense of uh, of films on the page because obviously no one can hear the music that I'm writing, but it definitely it helps give me a sense of what I'm writing, mm. and helps give me like get me into that mood. Like, so, like you say, like if you're writing noir thing, all you need is like if you hear that kind of like slight sad. Uh, almost morose trumpet kind of like yes mm-hmm. yeah it automatically puts you in that mood and automatically kind of gets you there and um and sometimes and this this isn't even from a putting you in a mood point of view just from a writing point of view especially like i mean i'm not a fan of um like repetitive music like dance music but like um like almost kind of like guitar band repetition like bands who kind of yeah it it just keeps kind of going on and on and on. It almost kind of locks you into a groove where you just keep writing and writing and writing because that's just kind of like powering you. Right. Keeping you going, you know? 
Oh, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Now, you say you're a big film fan. You also write The Kitchen, which is another great series, and it kind of deals with the mafia. So are there any mobster movies or mobster stories throughout history that are really interesting to you? Um, well, film-wise, Goodfellas. Oh, yes. That, yeah, that for me, that's just that's one of my favorite films of all time. It's everything about it's perfect, and that's definitely that's definitely an influence on uh, on the kitchen. I mean, um, Mean Streets as well, but like definitely more. Um, what I love about Goodfellas, and this this comes through in the book, uh, Wise Guys, a bit more than in the film. But what I like about it is, is that sense of like with these mafia guys, they're always conning, they're always playing a con of some sort. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 like it's. Well, to, to survive in their world, you need to do that. That that's what your bread and butter is is through earning money for illegitimate means. And they really hammer it home in the book. It's like every time they 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 can meet someone at a party, they'll talk to them, and then they'll be working out a way how they can scam money out of the person. Oh yeah, and that's fascinating. So this is this is how they live their lives. But it's, you can't understand why that's how they live their lives. It's because that's how they survive in that world. They don't constantly have this thing going on when they drop down. But it's also this sense of like, I mean, another like um, massive favorite of mine is obviously The Godfather. You know, one of the greatest, well, probably Godfather Part 2 is probably my favorite album. Oh, yeah. No doubt about no it. No doubt, it's yeah. mine as well. But like, um, and that's, that's great in itself. But obviously Coppola was doing this much more kind of exaggerated thing with it. Whereas... Um, you see in Goodfellas, I mean, I'm not saying it's realistic because it's not edited or shot to necessarily be realism, but like it's showing that there's these people who we think of the mafia as Don Corleone in his room with his cat being called the Godfather, when it's not, it's people on the streets hustling for money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The weird thing is they still have this massive control. Oh, yeah. yeah. Probably not anymore, actually. If you look at the Lufenza Heist, um, trial that uh, just wrapped up um you see mafia guys now who like you know guys who are part of the the same gangs that um that goodfellas comes from like oh, yeah on. they're now like there's some things where like um there's wiretaps on them they're complaining about not having any money and like they can't scramble a couple hundred dollars together yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i found that so weird and almost kind of sad but these people who were like you know like the the dons of their community, like the most well-respected and feared men in their communities, um, now they they can't keep that life going. It's almost like that scene in you know, Sopranos where I think it's Paulie and someone else, they're doing their collections and the guy can't pay because... Oh, the guy can't pay because a new shop opens over the road. It's basically a Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and extort the Starbucks and the people behind the counters have no idea what they're talking about. So these fucking mafia guys going in, it's like this Starbucks, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. You know, I mean, you tie it back to the social media thing. It's like you know, you have people who are online or posting photos and stuff, and you're like, oh, they have such a great life. Then you see it like in person, it's like they're not making a lot of money. You know, their their you know their life isn't what it seems. I mean, that's a really good way to tie in. You know, things like you know we mentioned with Goodfellas and like that, and stuff like with Snowblind. Yeah, it's like with with the internet, we we create a persona for ourselves. Exactly. Oh yeah, and it's weird when. 
Because working in comics, there's so many people who you know just through online. You know, like most most of the people I've worked well, actually, I was really lucky to meet uh, Ming uh, Ming Doyle, who drew the kitchen, and our editor Will, and I think I met Geordie, our colorist, before we started working on the book. Um, but with uh, with Snowblind, I haven't met anyone in person. That's crazy! Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. It's really crazy, but I feel like I know them really well. And then when you do finally meet these people, it's, it's, uh, there's always that slight odd feeling at first of like, you know, yeah, what are they actually going to be like? And then, <laughs> but then this is the other thing: is we think of the internet and the real world. Like I'm using, you can't see obviously, but I'm using quotation marks. But the real world has been a separate thing. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's what we're almost moving away from now and this with people sharing so much is it's not it, they're, they're too it, it, it's all a part of the same thing just because I've known this person online for three or four years that doesn't mean that our friendship is just online or right. that we've shared and spoken to each other but I just, when we meet in person unless we've been faking who we are then it's going to be exactly the same. You'll have the same conversations, you know? Oh, exactly. It's exactly how, even though there's that distance there, you're still drawn together because you share, yeah. share so much of your life online now. Exactly. But I'd say what's probably changed, I think when, like, so I'm 27, so I grew up as the internet was becoming a thing, you know? And I think that there definitely was a thing of when the internet first came out, it was a separate thing and you weren't yourself. Like you rarely ever even went by your first name, by, by your real name, sorry. Oh yeah, that's oh, true. Yeah, yeah. And how many of us have an old, forgotten, never used again email address? <laughs> which is like some really stupid quote. Or like, <laughs> <laughs> but like we, yeah, as soon as we all started to get proper jobs or like yeah, apply, <laughs> apply for real things, we had to suddenly get one of our real names. I know, right? It's oh, like wow. I can't use you know my my old. Remember when AIM was a thing, and my old screen was like King of Troy five one zero eight or something like that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? wow! You can't be like go for an interview, be like okay, email address assman twenty seven at Yahoo. <laughs> oh, that's just priceless. <laughs> but I, I wonder whether people still do that. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, look at some of the profile pictures. You've got shirtless gym guy that's applying for a job at like a law firm or something. I don't think that that's a thing. <laughs> gym lawyer laundry. <laughs> we got lunk at law over here. I mean, you got to be a little bit more careful. <laughs> oh, my God. oh, gosh. By the way, in case you'd forgotten, we're talking about Snowblind, which comes out from Boom Studios. <laughs> On December the 9th, an issue two hits shelves January the 13th. Ollie, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you one more thing about the series because we were actually fortunate enough to get a look at issue two. And without spoiling anything, Teddy actually does something that leads to a major cliffhanger at the end. And I really love how you don't drag it out. You just put it out there right there in the second issue. So what made you decide to have such a big reveal early on? I'm trying to think of how to say this without giving anything else away. I was trying to figure out how to word the question without yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's. I I I, I remember when um, when I first started working on um, on the kitchen. I was speaking to my editor Will, 
about it. And there was something which we weren't going to do in the... I won't go into details, but there was something we weren't going to do in the first issue. And he was saying about how sometimes front-loading a story can be a good thing because then the fallout can... I'm, I'm sure he didn't actually say it like this. So, you know, so it was a few years ago. But like, what I took from it was that the fallout can be the interesting part. Mm-hmm. You know, and if if your story just hinges on these things, then you haven't really got much of a story. You've just got an inciting incident. And I think that, that kind of that stuck with me. That's why I kind of why I feel feel like with with um, with Snowblind, it happens in those first two issues. There's a lot of those sorts of reveals, and there still are reveals later on, obviously, because there's the whole mystery. But I feel like those reveals carry everything else through, and that's what creates the mystery. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you, need, and you, know, you need that, especially for something like a kind of noiry mystery stories. You need it's kind of like big thing to happen like you know like the uh, body floating through the lake and someone finds it or you know a, a bag of drugs appears on a train or something like that you, you need that big exciting incident and you explore all of those ideas and the ramifications of it i wanted that kind of like that reason for someone to come back for the third one right it needed to be that little bit more and i feel like then it kind of that carries you through a bit more through the third and fourth while we're teasing the answers to all these questions. We're talking to Ali Masters, of course, of Snowblind. Ali, before we get you out of here, one final question. Where can people find you on social media? I'm a bit nervous about saying that after. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as you're not Assman27, I think you're okay. <laughs> yes, I, I'm, no, because I'm English. So I'm Assman. Man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, Oh, wow. Um, I'm at Ollie Masters on Twitter. And uh, I have a Tumblr account where you can find me just under Ollie Masters on that. But I semi-regularly update it. The best place to find me is on Twitter. Well, of course, Snowblind number one comes out from Boom Studios on December the 9th. Issue two will actually be available after the new year on January 13th. You're definitely going to want to add this to your poetry local shops or get it digitally. Thank you so much to Ollie Masters for coming on this week to talk about Snowblind. Ollie, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. So when we're done recording this, James, you remember Billy Gunn's uh, theme song? I'm an ass man! Dun, dun. Dun. It's I'm an ass yeah, I'm going to be playing it a lot, man. <laughs> because, you know, it's always fun to get people like Ollie Masters on and just make them laugh. And, you know, just, I mean, what I loved about that interview is that we just had, we were talking, of course, about Snowblind from Boom Studios. You know, here's the thing. We just had a great discussion about just social media in general. I do have a little bit of a downer, though, before huh. we get going. Huh. Uh, Assman27 is actually taken on Twitter. Is it really? It's, I'm not Are you shitting me? It's just taken. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's got two followers, okay? And yeah, it's taken. Sorry. So, I mean, maybe we're going to have to come up with a different handle or something. But yeah, sorry. It's it's taken. Sorry, world. Unless you can get it from uh, Jason Rice there who, who took the... If people start following him now... Instead <laughs> <laughs> of like, say, oh, giving... Give this back to Marvel. It's like, give Ashman 27 back to Don Nerdy. Could you imagine? He gets like a hundred or so followers in a day. Like, where the hell did this come from? My life is fantastic. 
But uh, no, it's great to talk about series like Snowblind that, you know, I mean, I know that there's some people that might be listening right now that say, what are you talking about? Snowblind. This is why we talk about, remember, we talked about the paybacks uh, weeks ago with Dark Horse. And I know that there was a series not a whole lot of people knew about. Now look at it. Well, we want to do the same thing with Snowblind and say, hey, this is a series that you should know more about. And this is one of those things that you should just add to your pull because the intrigue and the tension and just the emotion that goes throughout the series, it's so well written that you will not be disappointed. Oh yeah. Like I said, there's, there's, you know, some twists and turns in there. And when you find out what they are, they're pretty big and they're pretty significant. And they're, they make you say, wow, like you didn't expect that. And it's just, it's a very well-written book. I mean, just overall, you know, taking place in Alaska, you know, I had a fan member who used to live in Alaska, so I can kind of see why, you know, the whole isolation. I mean, her biggest joke was, you know, my aunt's was, you know, there's nothing but fish and moose here pretty much, you know. And so, I mean, it makes sense for when you want to go to witness protection, send them to Alaska. Oh, yeah. Ain't nobody there, you know what I'm saying? And this series goes so balls to the walls right away that they don't make you wait until, like, issue five to get a big reveal or let you know what the hell's going on. This series, by issue two, you're going to be like, whoa, what just happened? Exactly, exactly. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down Nerdy Podcast. And of course, thanks to Boom Studios and Ali Masters for coming on the podcast this week and talking about Snowblind. And then January 13th, issue two comes out. So again, we want to thank Boom Studios for giving us an advanced copy of both issue one and two. You got to go get it. Put it in your poll. You know, pre-order the hell out of it because it's a really, really fun and great book. And of course, you can hit us up on social media, Facebook.com slash Down Nerdy. Also on Twitter at Down Nerdy Seven Five Seven. I'm at Merck with one arm, Mister Witham. I'm at James Ace Witham. And I know you're talking. You're thinking about holiday shopping right now. Go to our website, DownNerdyPodcast.com. We've got our Amazon store up there. Completely safe, completely secure. If you're already a Prime member, you can still get your your free two-day shipping stuff going on. If you're not a Prime member, sign up with us and get a free 30-day trial. Hey, perfect for the holidays, right? I mean, you get that really quick shipping. You don't have to worry about whether or not it's going to get there on time. And all the stuff for your little nerd hearts and the nerds that you want to give your gifts to, you can find it at our Amazon store. Exactly. And don't forget, also on our website, we have What Else Is Nick and James Reading? Because you know we do what we're reading every week on the podcast. But hey, we read more than just one or two comics a week. We read a whole plethora of comics that Bob over at Fantasy Escape knows about. And uh, here's the thing. You want to find out what else these guys are reading, what else we're reading? You know what? Hit that little tab button where it says, you know, reviews and what else we're reading. And we have two different reviews of two different comics. And mm-hmm. the thing is, is they're not long. They're short, only three paragraphs long, but it gives you all the information you need. Of course, we have our nice little rating system at the bottom, which tells you should you put in your polls, should you buy it and test it out a little bit, or should you just skip it overall? And again, thanks to everybody who hits up our social media every week and make it fantastic. And hey, if you're a cosplayer, you got a cosplay you want us to feature, hit us up. Send you know, send us and post your cosplays to our Facebook page or even tweet them to us and let us know even so we can give proper photo credit to who took the photo as well uh, if you're somebody who does the cosplay. And as always, I leave you with this as I do every week, nerds. Practice safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics.